0: I used to think that I was brave as a big tough army ranger deploy into combat getting shot at and then I stood on a stage and looked out over this crowd of thousands of people. And that's the moment that I realized I'm not nearly as brave as the guys on this stage. If you want to know what I'm talking about, I described that moment during this interview with my guest, Ken Valentine. Ken was a Secret Service agent multiple times on three U.S. presidential Secret Service details. He was the guy who stood between the president of the United States and anybody that wanted to shoot him or anybody that wanted to blow him up. And I get a chance to sit down and talk about what it looks like to cheat death on this episode of Unbeatable with my guest, Ken Valentine. Hey guys, before we get into the story with Ken Valentine, I just want to tell you about the Solomon Foundation. They're helping to bring this episode to you today. And the Solomon Foundation is out there to make a big impact on the local church and help you get an excellent return on your investment at the same time. I'd love for you to go check these guys out. So why don't you go over to thesolomonfoundation.org right after you wrap up this episode on YouTube or right after you get done listening on your favorite podcast platform. Now here's my interview with the Secret Service agent, Ken Valentine. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Ken. Thanks for being a guest on this episode of Unbeatable. It's good to catch up with you. It's been a few months since we uh, were together in Pennsylvania.
1: Yes, sir. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Um, I am so impressed by what you've done for our country. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember watching live the last time a United States president was shot. I'm going to date myself now for anybody who's trying to figure out what I'm talking about. This is when President Ronald Reagan was shot. And there is an image that I have carried with me. I was a child when Reagan was shot by um, Hinckley, right? That's right. John Hinckley Jr. Um, There's an image that I would have burned in my memory from that live news broadcast, you know, that captured it that I'll never forget. And it's watching that Secret Service agent push Reagan into the limousine and then literally put his body in between John Hinckley Jr. and the president. And ever since then, I have been like, what kind of men and women will physically put their body in between a bullet and the president of the United States? And finally... I get a chance to talk to one on this episode of Unbeatable. This is really cool for me, man. Oh, well,
1: hey, it's, it's cool for me too. I mean, you're a national hero and, uh, you know, all it takes for a Secret Service agent to be inspired is to is to, is to watch and, and appreciate the Jeff Stroopers of the world. But uh, I remember the Reagan shooting as well. And uh, I was just a hair older than you when that happened. And uh, we, I was in grade school, didn't know about it until we got on the bus and, and our bus driver, uh, calmed everyone down and said, "You know, boys and girls, uh, the president's been shot." And um, you know what I remember about that day is someone cheered. What's that? Someone cheered.
0: Somebody and cheered. Someone on the cheered bus? on the
1: bus, and and it drove me crazy. And and you know what that sticks in my mind still. That you know to think that someone would uh, be so indoctrinated, likely by their parents, that they would uh, that they would revel yeah, sure. in something
0: that's a national tragedy. Yeah, an elementary um, child, right? Yeah. I think
1: you know the the um my parents haven't been alive and and around for uh the Kennedy assassination and uh there were books available to me to read up on that and see that it, it you know those images are burned in my mind and and I think I think that had a big impact on me wanting to do something both the 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 Kennedy assassination books my dad being in the FBI and and uh, getting to be around that and then and then he was actually around uh, for a Reagan visit, um, to, to where he was a senior resident agent and he, he got to participate. And so I got to, to participate vicariously and, and, uh, actually went to the airport where Reagan arrived and, and I was way off, you know, I, I didn't get to, to get up close to see much. I could see him, uh-huh. but, but I was keyed on the agents. I was watching what these, these guys in the shades yeah. and the earpieces were doing. And, and, uh, so that really enthralled me. And, and I think it, it, you know, it stayed in my mind. It stayed in my, um, in my desire tank for, you know, when the time was right and, uh, and I was, you know, making an application and, and going through the process. But thank you.
0: Well, you're reading my mind because I was just about to ask you, how did it work out? Why did it work out that you ended up in the Secret Service? I got to tell people um, before we get to the, your long, very incredible career in, in mm-hmm. the United States Secret Service and your presidential protection details that I have this picture of you. It's right in front of me. And it is the perfect, in my opinion, it's the perfect picture of a presidential secret service agent, um, a special agent in charge of the presidential detail. It's got Barack Obama in the forefront, crystal clear, shaking hands, lots of people. Overjoyed to meet the President and standing right behind him is you with the dark suit, and obviously there's a little bit of your badge showing, and I can tell that your hand is close enough to get to a firearm in a matter <laughs> of a split second, but you're obscured, you're way in the background, and anybody who didn't know what they were looking at would never have any idea just how impressive the guy standing next to the president is, yeah. You didn't do this for one president. You served three U.S. presidents over many years, multiple terms. So um, let's talk about the work that it takes to go from secret service to the presidential protection detail.
1: Right, well, 24 year career, 10 of those years spent uh, uh, full-time service with the president uh, out of of Washington. And so I I served uh, the last year with President Bill Clinton when he was in office. And then the first uh, four years with President George W. Bush, and then uh, it's typically a five-year assignment. At least it was when I did it. And so you rotate out. Uh, there is a burnout, uh, you know, since there. So they do rotate. Of course, and that My schedule and,
0: must be and insane.
1: Bounced around and, and then uh, lo and behold, they promoted me to go back. And I'd been on President Obama's campaign detail when he was a senator. And so they, they, Promoted me back when he took office uh, the first time, and uh, so I spent another five years uh, on the president's detail. Then, but um, you know, there there is a, a notion within the Secret Service. Not not too many people go in thinking that they're going to do anything but the president's detail, and and I think by the time you're ready to to be considered for that assignment, uh, there is a winnowing process, and so um, you know, probably not unlike going into the Navy thinking you're going to be a Navy CO Well, you know,
0: (laughs) of course,
1: right. It's not for everybody, you know, And, and I think that's, that's good. It's natural. It's, um, and so, you know, not everybody wants to put up with that, with that lifestyle, with that stress, with, with all of that. Um, I just think that, that I had the right wife, the right family. They were supportive of that. And, and I seem to thrive in that. I, I don't. I can't explain that except it's just a, 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 you know, mercy gift that 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 seemed to be where I thrived and and enjoyed it. And hey, if they'd have let me, I'd still be doing it today. I, I loved it that much.
0: Well, what you're describing is cheating death. We're going to talk about that phrase in just a few minutes. But anyone who knows the role of the protection detail. Um, you know, the high-ranking U.S. government officials, they all know that the job of a Secret Service at the, you know, the ultimate call of a Secret Service agent may be you give your life to protect that high-ranking elected official. There are people listening to this podcast that are not from the United States, don't understand the Secret Service. So in just a second, I want you to explain that stress, as you called it, that lifestyle, but there are plenty from the us myself included who don't understand what it takes to make it through that winnowing process and make it to the protection detail so can you just describe what they ultimately what you 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 ultimately had to do just to be able to make it to the level of serving 3 us presidents as their protection which is very very small and a very uh, elite group within the secret service
1: right it you know the secret service is very misunderstood uh, especially worldwide a lot of people think that the secret service is some kind of intelligence agency like the cia and and that we're you know somehow like the fbi in that respect and 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 that's not accurate uh, the secret service is a law enforcement agency we were created um in the wake of the civil war and abraham lincoln is actually the one who created the secret service um, and it was all about counterfeiting. So, uh, you know, at the end of the war, half of the, the, um, the money in our country was fake. So you can imagine the inflation problem that existed because of that. And uh, there were no federal investigative agencies to go after counterfeiters. So uh, Lincoln, in his wisdom, said that uh, the Treasury Department ought to be investigating that and created the Secret Service with 10 operatives. They called them back then, not special agents. That would fan out and stop counterfeiting because at that point all they had to do to beat the rap for counterfeiting was step across state lines and no one could touch them. So they created this federal oh, investigative right. yeah. that
0: could sure that could yeah. go
1: out and so these ten guys they were all men then uh, fanned out and and put a whooping on on counterfeiting and and really shut it down and and so that was our genesis uh, the the night that that Lincoln signed the bill that that created the agency that would later protect presidents, he was assassinated. And so the legacy is that that he was assassinated that that night. And so it didn't have anything to do with protecting the president though. And we had to have two more presidents get assassinated before somebody finally said, Hey, somebody ought to be protecting these guys. And so Garfield in 88 and, and McKinley in 01 were assassinated in addition to Lincoln in 65. And, and so the, we were still really the only federal investigative law enforcement agency out there. So they gave the responsibility to the Secret Service. Um, you know, 10 years later, uh, the, the Justice Department wanted to get into the investigative uh, arena. And so they took 10 Secret Service agents, moved them to justice, and, and that became the FBI. So, so that's our genesis. So you, what we're looking at when, when, when we're looking for uh, protective agents uh, they're coming from the field of investigators. And so the the old adage in the Secret Service is you can turn an investigator into a protection agency, but not vice versa. So a good investigator makes a good protective agent. And so attention to detail and, and seeing things through and being methodical lends itself to being good at protection. And so if you're good in the field doing investigations, then chances are we can we can make you into a good protection agent. And all along the way, from day one uh, in the field as a brand new Secret Service agent, you're going to get a taste of protection. So the the president's traveling and you're assigned to, say, Columbus, Georgia, Uh, the president's going to come near there and they're going to borrow you to to come and help. And so you may have a, a small role of you know, uh, uh, stand in this stairwell for about eight hours and and learn how to be a Secret Service agent. But all along the way, uh-huh. you're building your your resume and and learning the skills and the trades and 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 building that reputation too. And I, you know, I think reputationally is 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 how presidential agents are made. And so by the time you are have been on the job long enough to be considered for the president's detail, you've got a a pretty long resume and a very long reputation, and so uh, they what they used to do is bring you to DC for a looksy, and they they called it a Um uh, These days they don't do that; it's just more built on the reputation that you've garnered uh, uh, doing those initial assignments and and working close to the president uh, as a as a field agent. But you get uh, you get experience in the field doing protection is just more on a part-time basis and and i remember when i was interviewing for the job um, i was asking questions of the agents and and i said what what makes you like this job i mean what is it about it that, that appeals to you and that you still appreciate after all these years that he'd been on and he said the great thing about the secret service is that you do investigations and about the time you get sick of doing an investigation they send you on a trip to do protection and about the time you get sick of being gone from home, they send you back and you start all over again. So, And that, that was true for me. I, I loved investigations, but um, the, when protection opportunities came up, uh, I, I relished those two and, and seemed to thrive in that. So I, I enjoyed that dual mission, both aspects of doing uh, the, the whole job of being a Secret Service agent
0: right well I mean it's easy to forget just by the way the persona and the media portrays the president he's still just a man very very vulnerable you served three u.s presidents and you served presidents in different political parties and of course with different personalities and you served at different times and there's obviously challenges that go along to this I want to talk about the challenge that it asks of you and your family. But before we get to that, I just want to go ahead and state the obvious. Part of your role is to stand out there very, look, there's nothing secret about the secret service protection detail. Everybody knows those two guys on the left and right are there to make sure that the president lives And everybody also knows those two guys on the left and right of the president are very willing to give their life. The stress of that part of the job as a warrior or a law enforcement officer listening today might be able to relate to. I think there's some people listening or watching that just can't comprehend. Can you just give a little bit of the daily stress of the, um, you know, the, the, not the workload, but the the pressure of placing yourself in the line of fire, if necessary, for the president. Can sure. you describe that for sure. just a moment?
1: You know, I I would say to that, Jeff, that my hat is off to to real cops, <laughs> real law enforcement, and military, because you know, there's no doubt in my mind, having done the Secret Service job for 24 years, that um, there are much more dangerous jobs. Um, there's always potential with secret service and we're always aware of that, Uh, you can't get away from that. And, and, you know, if we fail at our job, people are going to die. That's just a fact. But, um, you know, we work with the finest people in the world and that it's one of the things that I learned to truly love about secret service. And when I give speeches, I go out and I, and I tell people one of the greatest, advantages that the secret service has is knowing when we walk into any town or or country wherever it is in the world we know ahead of time that we can't do it on our own and so we're we're always standing there with our hat in our hand saying hey we need help and that that's a huge advantage to know ahead of time that that you're not invincible you're not uh uh capable of doing this without partnering and collaborating and and working with people that you would you would want to do that with anyway and so so that's, you know, that's the first part of that. Now, the, the truth is that Secret Service is very stressful. And, you know, walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, uh,
0: you know, Staying at noon right on, next a, on a the day. That might get blown up.
1: Well, the world knows you're coming. And that, that's, a, that's a unique American experience. Say, hey, bad guys, guess what? At noon on Friday, we'll be on Pennsylvania Avenue walking right down the street at a very slow pace. If you got something, bring it. And you know we, it's it's not said that way, but I'm that's sorry, kind of shouldn't the couch, be laughing. You
0: know? But that's just like inviting everybody who wants to take a shot at the president. Here he is. Take your shot.
1: It is. It is. And so you know that's that's certainly in the back of your mind. I would say the more stressful part of of what we do is is the fact that you can't plan anything. Uh, my wife is just the the greatest woman in the world. So flexible and so gracious about everything. But those ten years that we spent. On the president's detail, in particular, the the fourteen others weren't much better. But you can't plan anything, and so you you can you can make plans, but they're not necessarily going to come uh, you know work out. We've got a great family portrait. We call it our Secret Service family portrait. It's my wife and three no four kids. Uh, I'm not there because I got called away at the last minute when we had this the perfect picture set up ready to go. It turns out she was pregnant anyway, so. Uh, We now have five kids and we, we, you know, I'm in the picture now when I, when I can be, but that's, that's the secret service. You just don't know. And that's this, you know, more stressful part of it. But I do think what you're talking about that, that unknowing, um, Hey, this might cost me my life. And you certainly don't want it to. And I, and I think there's a, a part of that stress. That's good. We call it appropriate tension, but when you have the appropriate tension, you are going to work a little extra um, hour you know, making sure that, that this doesn't cost you your life, because it, you know, you're, you're protecting the president, but you're protecting yourself at the same time, and we're going we're gonna to take the precautions necessary to ensure that we don't have a problem. Now, you can't account for everything, and you can't certainly account for every president's actions. Uh, if they want to go to McDonald's at midday, uh, you know, we'll we'll try to hold them off as long as we can, but you know what? They're going to do what they want to do, and and they don't always uh, listen to us. But I I think that stress and that that tension is what initially drove me to write. And so I'd be, you know, on a plane going to Afghanistan or to to you know some country. I, I went to seventy four countries, and and a lot of them multiple times. So a lot of airtime, a lot of time in hotels, and that's when I started writing. And I was writing letters to to my kids. And a lot of times I would, you know, write on that hotel stationery and then send it through the front desk. So it would have the foreign stamps and all that kind of stuff. But um you know, that, that's where the, the appreciation for writing and, and getting things down for the kids uh, came out initially. And I was, I was talking to my sister about this and, and she bought me for Christmas one year, she got me this leather uh, journaling notebook kind of thing. And she said, you really need to tell these stories. You, 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 you know, I would, we would go meet for Christmas or Thanksgiving and, and they would say, tell us some stories, you know? And, and so I would, you know, I'm not, I'm not great at that, but I was much better at writing them down. And so she gave me that, that notebook to write them down. And, and so I had some stories, I had some letters. And when I was assigned to Philadelphia, it was without the family. And so I was up there during the week and going back to D.C. to be with the family on the weekends. And I would spend my nights writing. And that's when the themes and the, uh, yeah, I'm a broken record. So, you know, I had this manuscript and, and the idea really for me was to just have something to give the kids a, a legacy. If I, you know, if my plane goes down or or, you know, something happens that uh, the kids would have some stories and so, something that they could know about their dad, even if they didn't get to know him very well. And, um, and I, and I, I was talking with one of the guys that I work at Point Man Leadership Institute with uh, the, the, actually the co-founder's name is Bob Phillips and Bob's, uh, you know, written and published 130 books. And he said, Hey, let me, let me take a look at what you wrote. <laughs> and so yeah. I said, all right, you know, uh, uh, happy to have you have a look at it. And, um, and still I'm thinking, I, I just want it to be good. You know, I want it to be, you know, I don't want it to be something the kids don't appreciate. So, so I gave the manuscript to Bob and, and Bob took it and uh, he, he called me up and he said, Hey, this is, this is actually pretty good. He said, you're, you're a funny guy. <laughs> you know, I'm a secret service agent that it's not illegal to be funny, but. Uh, yeah, I he didn't said, know they you know,
0: let you guys be funny.
1: You you can't. I I tell you, the the humor that rolls within the truck uh, behind the presidential limo is, uh, you you know, it's there. And and we need that. You know, you got to have you got to you got to have a little bit of your mind. You you can appreciate that. And so Bob said, look, if you just want to give this to your kids, I'll have it bound to look like a book and you can give it to them, you know, by Christmas. He said, but he said, I think you got something here. And he said, I'd like to see if we can get this published because I think, I think guys will appreciate this. I think people need to read this. And he said, let's just give it a shot. And so I said, well, I, you know, I got nothing to lose here. I, I, I wrote this for, for my kids, but um, you know, the publisher agreed. I finally, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, rejection that comes with uh, you know, trying to get a book published and, and, but with nothing to lose uh, I was, you know, Hey, this was fine. So but I finally found Post Hill Press agreed to to publish it and they've been running with it. So it's it, it's, it's been a great journey.
0: And I just wanna tell everybody, we'll, we're gonna talk more about the book at the end of the show. The book comes out in April, um, but people can pre-order it now. So just hang with us to the end and we'll give you some more information about that. I took a group of army rangers to Normandy, France for the 65th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. Mm. I won't go into all of the details, but, I was asked, me and a couple of other Rangers were asked to meet with the heads of state in a little um, briefing room and then walk the first ladies onto the stage while their husbands were escorted onto the stage, four heads of state and the first ladies and just us Rangers. And then for whatever reason, somebody grabbed us and said, we just want you to stand on stage right behind them. So the prime minister of, of Canada, the president of France, the president Obama at the time, Um, the crown prince are all there standing on the stage. I'm looking out over this crowd of five or 7,000 people. I had a respect for the secret service before this moment, but my respect went through the roof because I'm standing just about 20 feet away from all four of these heads of state thinking there is no human way possible. You can absolutely ensure that nothing happens right now. And if something happens, There's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And that's when I realized, man, the job of a secret service agent, Mm. put your life on the line, literally place yourself between a bullet and the president. But in certain circumstances, there's nothing you can do to stop something bad from happening. You just do your best to mitigate it or to, you know, to respond if it does happen. And Ken, I got mad respect for you. But honestly, I got mad respect for your family because when the president jumps on the on Air Force 1 and says I want to fly to Afghanistan and have lunch with the soldiers on Christmas Day well of course that means a secret service agent is going to have to leave his family jump on Air Force 1 and go accompany the president on Christmas Day and I know what this feels like but your family must have really given up a lot of very special events for you to do what you've done for our country, your wife must be a pretty amazing lady. Can you just talk about the what the job asks of a family?
1: Yeah, yeah. My wife is one of my favorite subjects, so please ask me more about my wife. <laughs> she, Sandra and I have been married for 31 years, and uh, she's right, she nice. the most patient. Uh, wonderful woman on the face of the earth. And, you know, the Lord knew what I needed uh, because I had no idea when we, when we got married, what I was going to be doing for a living. I was in law school and and thought I was going to be some kind of lawyer. <laughs> and so my, my wife, um, you know, has been the sounding board. She's been the, uh, you know, my partner through this entire thing. And um, one of the things that we do as a couple is that, you know, we pray through decisions and and so my wife knows that she has veto power on, on decisions that are getting made. And so uh, there were three times I distinctly remember when I was on the president's detail the first time that I offered to quit because I knew that, that you know, this is getting old. Um, she's, we're having babies where uh, I, I remember I came back from Cartagena, Colombia, and I had a 14-hour turnaround to head to Halifax, Nova Scotia.
0: Um, oh my God. You so, Wait a second. You went from sunny, hot Columbia to Nova Scotia in 14 hours. Yeah. That's hard, not just on your sleep <laughs> schedule, but that's really hard on the, you know, the human body right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're, that's a great point. Uh, it did. I did go from uh, shorts and t-shirts doing logistics down there to uh, winter coats, but in that 14 hours, Sanders said, oh, well, it's been great to see you. And by the way, I'm pregnant and uh, we're having another baby and and I was like, well, that's, that's great. I will talk more about it when I get back. You know? So she's, uh, she, she's amazing in her patience, in her resilience. Um, we have to be intentional about being one. And so we, we call it oneness. Uh, that's not, we didn't originate that, but, but the oneness part of our marriage is so important, especially when, you know, I'm heading into the fire and she's got her own fires burning at home, but I have a wonderful mentor and, uh, it, it, and I'll drop his name. His name is Dr. Joe Hamlet and Joe latched onto me and, All right. and he mentors me and he noticed uh, something that he he said was just typical of me and not atypical of, of, of warriors. He said, you know, when everything's going right at home, you've got the freedom to go do what you need to do. And I said, you know, that's, that's pretty profound. Really. If, if everything's going right at home, then you've got the freedom to go slay dragons. You've got the freedom to go do what it is that God's got you to do and not have to worry about what's going on at home. And, and Sandra was so supportive. Uh, even with that 14-hour turnaround, Sandra would turn to me and say, go get them. And so I, I, I love this woman. And, um, and so she's a fighter too. So she, she's, um, she has taken care of me and this family. She, she's raised these kids. And um, so my, my hat is off to her as well.
0: Yeah, my hat is off to her, man, I want to say thank you to you for all that you've done 24 Mm -hmm. years of serving our country, but I got incredible respect, please tell her thank you for the sacrifice that she's made of telling you, I know I'm only going to get 14 hours and you're going to be sleeping 11 and a half of those 14, no, probably more like six, but (laughs) hey, um, go get them. I'm proud of you. I'm here for you. And if the house was, if the, if the family life was a wreck back home, you wouldn't have the freedom, as you just said, to go out and slay dragons. So huge respect for Sandra and for your, for your children.
1: You know, I think the secret service did a great service to us and, and I hope they still do this. But when I was in the application process, nearing, uh, nearing being hired, um, an agent his name was Mike Pearson I'll never forget it he came to our house and they call it a home interview they're one of the few agencies that wow. does this and they All came right. to our home on an appointment to meet with my wife and we were we were already married at the time but they'll meet with your family and whoever and you're allowed to ask them any question you want and so we didn't have a lot of questions we had a lot of stars in our eyes you know not realizing what you're getting into and and what was going to be asked of you but i remember Mike Pearson saying to, to my young bride, hey, he's gonna traipse all over the world, but if he ever tells you that he can't call you from wherever he is, he's lying. So he can always call you. They always have phone lines set up. And he said, he said, but I'll also tell you that the hot water heater is going to go out and he won't be home and he can't come home. So stuff's gonna happen, just anticipate it. And I think that was wise. I think that was helpful. Uh, going into the crucible to say, hey, this is going to be hard. And when that hot water heater broke, she wasn't shocked. She was ready to handle it. So uh, I think the Secret Service did a good job of of prepping uh, to some extent for that.
0: Okay, this is priceless because there's lots of people, husband and wife, that are trying to be one by the way, I love your term, the, the oneness that you worked on in a, in a relationship. That word reminds me of a passage that I read about how a husband and wife are supposed to be made into one. Um, but the her job, his job are constantly pulling them away from each other. And they have all of these pressures and all of these demands at work that are stressing the marriage relationship. Look, if anybody has gone through this repeatedly. It is the Secret Service agent whose life is on the schedule of the president. And let's just be honest, the schedule of the president can be insanely intense. And they're saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make this relationship work when we're rarely seeing each other yeah, don't I don't know what's worse. So Ken, yeah, can, I mean, I was going to say, Ken, can you give some quick relationship advice to the guy and the gal out there that's saying, "Man, we're really struggling. We love each other, and we're really struggling, and we need to know how do you make this thing work when you're when you're separated yeah, all the time."
1: Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I when when we're struggling, we look at at other examples, and so I'm not sure which is worse to you know, we we talk about the Navy submariners that are gone and, you know, these Navy guys on ships and and being sent all over the world for six months or a year at a time. You know about that ahead of time, typically, but uh, man, that we wonder how you do that. And so we, you know, we would look at the at world news and see what president died and then, you know, all right, well, the president's going to go to that funeral. So now we know what I'm going to be doing next week. I'm going to be going to France or I'm going to be going to, you know, some other country. And, um, um, I, you know, I think for us, um, you know, quantity of time does not necessarily mean quality. And so I think that's true with kids, too. But you have to be intentional about your time and so whether you've got a little bit of time or a lot of time um i certainly know examples of 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 guys and marriages where there was no travel there was no stress there was no you know you it, it, and it didn't work you know but and then i know examples of people who whose marriages were a lot more stressful than ours that you know separation for ma- vast amount of time and and you know heartache after heartache and stress uh entered into that relationship and yet they thrived and so I think for us um you know you mentioned the verse that says the two shall become one and and I think that was the advice that we received early on that that's made all the difference is that if if the two of you are leaned into each other in submission to the Lord then it, it's on him you know he gets to support you and that's where we've tried to be I, certainly it's about direction not perfection but we we've, we've strived right. to to lean into the Lord and and find ourselves leaned into one another in the process. And that has made a world of difference.
0: Direction, not perfection, man. I'm writing that down right now when we're talking, because I think that is the perfect piece of advice. My wife and I, um, we were on combat deployment. I'm, I think this is number 15 or 16. And I remember we looked at each other and said, I don't get it. This is harder. Every deployment gets harder and harder to say goodbye. You'd think by this many times we figured this out, but it always gets harder. And it's because our relationship was growing closer. But I also remember saying, we're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work. We're going to do whatever it takes because we're not going to let the job tank our marriage right um, and i, I just want to say man ken when i hear of you and your wife and your marriage it gives me great hope for anybody out there who's got a lot of demands at work she's working hard he's working hard they rarely see each other and if you guys can make it you they can make it too
1: <laughs> you know uh we we believe love is a commitment and so we we believe in staying power uh when it's hard and you know what is that what does that mean uh it's it's so you know individual to each each couple and each marriage but um you know I, I I watched my wife go through cancer with uh stage 2 breast cancer recently and and just watched her uh her staying power through that and uh you know had to be there to to shave what was left of her hair uh, you know off of her off of her balding head and and uh, be there when the chemo and the radiation got uh to be a bit too much and all the surgeries and, and all this stuff. And, and, you know, if, if you're doing that on your own strength um, then failure is inevitable, but when you're leaning into the Lord, I think that makes a big difference. And so when your gaze is lifted off of your own troubles and on, uh, on him, I think that that helps relieve some of that stress and that burden. And, and I think that's where we're trying to be, you know, again, uh, we, we, we say it all the time. It's, it is direction over perfection because if the standard was perfection, we'd all just be miserable, but it's about the direction. And so when we're moving in the right direction and we're moving together and we've got that oneness, Hey, we're unbeatable, right? You're unbeatable prod podcast. That's that's right. That's right.
0: Did you hear that everybody? I like it. Love it. Um, I love the fact that you're talking direction too. Like, Hey, we have some hiccups. We've made some mistakes. We've got a little growing to do, but we're heading in the right direction. If we're focused on perfection every night, we're going to go to bed, frustrated, disappointed, you know, ready to throw our hands up. So I think the statement is powerful direction, not perfection in a relationship.
1: And it was almost like I could hear our, our wedding vows saying in sickness and in health. And, you know, I, I think for, for couples who have the long vision, of, of what a commitment and what a love and marriage really is, then things like that are, are, you know, what they're not fun, they're not pleasant, but it's part of the journey. And yeah, the, the great thing is that when when you go through the valley of the shadow of death and come out the other side, it, it the the view is terrific. And so, I I really think that you know we, those who endure hardships are made better by them. And and we've certainly had ours. I think the career and the the Secret Service is, is one kind of hardship. You, you run into these serious health issues and, and challenges. Those are another kind. You have issues with kids and all that. And you know what? If you're trained by these hardships, then you come out better on the other side. And, and, and the difference is your commitment to stay in the fight when you're in the middle of it. And, and I think that's, that's where that oneness counts. I think that's where that oneness wins. And, um, and I, I think we're seeing the fruit of that now. Uh, on on the back end of, of the the cancer diagnosis, when things are are looking much better and 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 actually good, so and we get to enjoy the fact that we 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 walk through that valley together, um, and and we come out on the other side and have a much different perspective, and
0: it's good. I couldn't do a better job of demonstrating or describing this entire podcast than what you just said, because Mm. yeah, life is going to knock you down. And yeah, you're going to go through hardships. And you didn't even want to or choose to go through these. And your commitment is I'm going to get up and I'm going to stay in the fight. And what the audience is hearing from you, Ken, is not only do you stay in the fight and prove that your marriage or your uh, you know your friendship or whatever is unbeatable, but you actually come out of it stronger on the other side, as opposed to just being defeated by life and overwhelmed by your circumstances and throwing your hands up and quitting. So, man, you're the poster boy. You're the perfect <laughs> spokesperson for what we're trying to say in every episode of this podcast. Well, how Sandra? How's she doing now? Um, how, She's doing. Uh, how does rare. the treatment look? What's her future look like?
1: Future looks great. She's got enough hair to to make a small ponytail now, so she's pretty happy about that.
0: Um But probably got um, a whole selection of wigs so she can be anybody she wants tomorrow if she wants to, right? <laughs> well, that
1: was true. And and you know, for for a lot of women that go through this, um their their hairstyle changes. So she had straight yeah. hair uh, and when it grew back, it grew back curly. So All right. She's getting to enjoy that. So uh, the the prognosis looks really good. And and so we're very encouraged by all that.
0: Awesome. Hey, I didn't work this out, but just last week, I had a chance to catch up with a guy that um, I've known about for years, Jeff Teagues. He retired from the Army after a very, very successful career in special operations. And check this out. As soon as he retires, he decides, I am going to take this unique skill set that I have And I'm going to go help the exploited. I'm going to Mm -hmm. go make a difference in sex trafficking. Uh, I want the audience to know I had no idea that these two were lining up. But the very next week, Ken, I want you to describe what you decided to do with some of your skills and some of your abilities after you leave the Secret Service. Tell them about the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children.
1: You bet. Another thing that I love talking about. So thanks for bringing it up. But. Um, this really goes back to when I was in the Secret Service and um, I was selected to do a, a fellowship on Capitol Hill. And so with the with the law degree, that was kind of interesting to me anyway, the, the whole politics thing. And and so I agreed. I submitted to that. Uh, we prayed through that and said, yes, uh, I was assigned. uh to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and so within the committee, I was assigned to Senator Orrin Hatch, which was perfect timing because all of his staff was leaving. He was the 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 chairman of Senate Judiciary, stepping down. Arlen Specter was taking it, and Arlen got all the staff. So Senator Hatch had a big void in his staff, and Secret Service approached him, said, "Hey, you want this? We got this village idiot that's it's looking for a position. And would no, you take far it? From Just, it? Yeah." Take him, please take him. And so I, I got to go up there and, and there there really weren't many advisors left. And, and so I advised Senator Hatch, you know, about uh, crime and criminal justice issues. Um, I did not know that, that when the Senate is in recess, that's when you're supposed to take leave. So I'm showing up for work and there's nobody there. And, and in walks Ed Smart and Ed's, Ed Smart's daughter, Elizabeth, was abducted from their home in Utah. And and Ed is a constituent of Senator Hatch. And of course, Ed didn't call ahead of time to see that Senator was going to be there. Senator's in Utah. So Ed comes in. I'm the only idiot left in the office. So they paired me up with him and we talked about it. And after about two hours, I just confessed to Ed a couple of things. And I said, number one, uh, I'm not a, a Capitol Hill lawyer. I'm a Secret Service agent who You know, my gun's in a drawer with a lock on it, and and I'm playing Capitol Hill lawyer uh, doing this fellowship. He said, so that's number one. Number two, I just confessed to him that when the news and the stories about his daughter were out there about Elizabeth, um, I did not hold any hope. Uh, I remember praying that there would be, but honestly, in my heart of hearts, I did not hold out any hope that Elizabeth was going to be found. And so he he's accustomed to hearing this. Uh, he was very gracious about it. But what Ed had come to do was say, hey, this is a mess. We've got a terrible set of of laws out there that it's a it, it amounts to a patchwork quilt for our country and we deserve better. The victims deserve better and my daughter deserves better. So I said, well, I don't know how to fix it, but I guarantee you this. Uh, Secret Service agents don't take challenges lightly. So uh, I'll take the challenge and we'll see if we can't fix it. And so this is what I love to do. You know, you give me a challenge, I'll go fix it. So so a year and a half later, after figuring out how to navigate a bill through the Senate and then over to the House and back and forth and and not knowing all the, the appropriate protocols, I, I foolishly named the bill, the Sex Offender Registration Notification Act, which just a terrible name and so the the house the guys on the house side i became you know pretty good relationships with with all of these real lawyers on capitol hill all these smart people um they rebranded it the the adam walsh child protection and safety act and so they of course it it morphed and changed but the nucleus of the of the bill was what i had put together which was based on a house an old house bill written by bradley schreiber and so we we put that together in the process, I worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. What do you need? What would make this better? What would thrill you if we could change the laws that that covered all fifty states? What is it that would that would make your job easier and better and so I, with all of this input, we set out to do it and uh i I remember Senator Hatch's chief legal counsel, Bruce Arden, telling me he you know, I'm wearing myself out trying to get this done. I'm going, I'm knocking on every senator's door. I'm bringing Ed and Elizabeth in. And I told him, I said, I can't pay for your travel, but I can put you up at our house. So they would come stay at our house and we would just go tear it up. And and my chief counsel sees this and, um, you know, he loves the whole Secret Service thing, but he's like, hey, I just need you to understand that this has no chance of becoming law. And I remember looking at him and I said, do what? And he said, "This has no chance of becoming a law, but it's a great, it's a great endeavor. It's to, a good
0: thing you're doing, but it's entirely futile and it's a waste. That's of right.
1: Time. That's right." And I said, "Yeah, watch me." So a year and a that's half what later, I'm
0: talking about where you yeah, can, yeah,
1: yeah, a year and a half later, uh, village idiots, uh, you know, on the south uh, grounds of the White House, getting this thing signed into law. And George Bush um, signed it into law as the Adam Walsh Child Protection Safety Act of, of 2006. And so. The guys who who worked at NCMEC, National Center for Missing Exploited Children, uh, they they're a very loyal bunch. And and John Walsh uh, maintained his appreciation for the efforts and and all of that. And so I was not allowed to be on the board as a government employee. But the day I retired, uh, I get a call from John Walsh and he said, hey, I'm nominating you for the board. Uh, I really (laughs) didn't retire.
0: Now you're ours.
1: I really didn't feel like I had much choice when John Walsh yeah. tells you you're going to do something. The chances are you're going to do it. And and so he nominated me for that. And and I've been serving on the board ever since. And so that's been about four years now. And I love it the the National Center is is an incredible place filled with incredible people that have talent and passion. And they're making a difference in our country. And and so John Walsh, John and Revae Walsh, started NickMick out of their garage after their son Adam was wow. abducted yeah. and
0: murdered. Yeah. huh And
1: so they started this in the trunk of a car in their garage. They got the attention of Ronald Reagan and Reagan is the one who 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 pushed it through and made it a public private partnership. And um so Nick Mick offers all kinds of, of services and information and it's all free because because of the nature of who they are. It's a 501c3. Right. And so they're they're making a huge difference in our country protecting kids, uh preventing um uh exploitation when they can. Uh a lot of times unfortunately the the you know what they have to offer is identification services for kids yeah. who've been found and aren't identified. Um they're solving cold cases and and making a difference on behalf of kids and so I I absolutely love the engagement there. Um it it was funny moving from DC um, you know, getting outside the Beltway, but still engaged with NCMEC inside the Beltway felt like a very, very unusual thing. I, and, you know, I just felt like I needed to do something more locally. And so I, I got involved with a group here. Uh, it's called the Well House. And, and the Well House exists to uh, house and, and help restore women and girls who've been caught up in sex trafficking. And so if, if we can get them out, the wellhouse provides for them a place to stay and, and to be restored. And so that, uh, you know, I've got my my national effort and I've got my local effort. And so I, you know, I feel like I that's a full plate for me. And I've, I have, of course, really enjoyed yeah.
0: doing both. Well, uh, not just making a difference locally, but you're helping shape policy nationally, not just theoretical at the national level, but very practical at the local level. And it doesn't surprise me at all, Ken. I've seen lots of really, really talented warriors, law enforcement officers, you know, national um, serv- servants who after they take the uniform off, so to speak, they step right in and they go straight for the most vulnerable part of society and say, I'm going to help those people. That's what my guest last week, Jeff Teagues, was doing. That's exactly what you did one day after retiring. Um, and I'm I'm thrilled to hear it because... This is a problem that needs a lot, needs everyone's attention and a lot of help at many levels. Um, well, I it go is back a pleasure. To, yeah. And,
1: I, you know, I think it fits in my persona to to be the protector. And so I, I love, you know, the effort to protect kids and to, to protect those who are, are more vulnerable. And um, it's why I, I, you know, I really have appreciated that, war, that warrior poet, uh, John Level, um, you know, the, the episode that I saw him on your podcast, I was not familiar with the Warrior Poets Society and um, but it, it fits. It, it, it fits me. It oh, fits man. so many people. Absolutely. So I'm so yeah. grateful that John is out there, uh, you know, getting his his message out and, and rallying people to that to that calling, because that, that's that's the real deal.
0: Well, at their essence, law enforcement officers, first responders, they get up every day and they say, I want to protect people that are hurting. At their essence, the military gets up and says, I want to put myself between our way of life and people that would harm it. And the Secret Service, in my opinion, kind of at the pinnacle of this protection spectrum is I'm going to put myself between anybody that wants to harm our national leadership and the bad guys. And of course, it would fit to protect the most vulnerable after, you know, spending your entire adult life essentially protecting the most powerful. Why wouldn't you spend, you know, time <laughs> protecting the most vulnerable out there?
1: Yeah, that, that works.
0: Let's go, let's go to your book, man. Um, So the book comes out in April. It's already available for pre-order. But one of the things that I love about your book is you're describing what it looks like to cheat death. And of course, most of the listeners right now are thinking, yeah, he walked right next to the presidential limousine when anybody or within, you know, eyesight had the potential to shoot him or to blow him up in order to get to the president. But when you talk about cheating death, you're not just talking about physical death. So why don't you, I don't want you to give the secret away. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to go out and pre-order your book after this, but why don't you give them a little taste of what other kind of cheating death you were talk you're talking about in this book?
1: You bet. Well, you, you, you touched on it. The, uh, the, the idea of cheating death, uh, secret service protects people that, that other people tend to want dead. So you take the president out. Uh, you you leave the safe confines of the White House. Uh, you take him out where he needs to go, uh, to be the leader that that we've elected the president to be. And uh, you bring him back safely. And you've cheated death because death awaits every if, single if you time, every job. single
0: day on the job. You've cheated death. And, yes.
1: And I think you know John Lovell really points out the the fact that that's on a personal level as well. That that physical need to protect yourself, to be there for others, to be the protector for others um out in society is is you know it really kind of dovetails right on into that um but then on the spiritual side um you know we it the, the scripture's clear that we were born uh dead you know we were born dead spiritually and and Christ made us alive colossians says uh through Christ Jesus and so uh cheating death means that that we don't have to stay dead we can we can walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ and 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 live the life that we were intended to live through him. And so that for me is, is, you know, living your, your best life is cheating death. And then, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're all going to see a physical death, uh, uh, presidents, uh, you and me, we're all going to see that, but we don't have to taste it. And so, um, first Corinthians 15 talks about, uh, and it's quoting the prophet Hosea saying, Hey, death, where's your sting? you know, where's your victory? You don't get it. You don't get to claim it because through Christ, we get to claim victory in, in life after death. And so ultimately uh, for me, that's cheating death. And when I was in the Secret Service, we used to kind of joke about cheating death. You know, you how you doing? Well, I'm cheating death. And, and but we get to do that in reality. And so that uh, knowing that outcome means you get to live your best life now. And I, I to me, that is, um, that's where it's at because you've got a mission. God's got a calling for each of us. We've got a mission to do here on earth. And, and I think that, that when you are aware of your calling and, uh, and, and secure in the mission that he's given you to do, and you're doing that, uh, that's real living. And that's, uh, yeah. that's good. living. that's cheating death.
0: Uh, A a great friend of mine, we were just hanging out together this weekend, Keith said to me, Jeff, you know, when I was over in combat a couple of times, I was absolutely certain beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to die. And I just, spiritually speaking, I was prepared and I just got myself emotionally and psychologically ready and said, okay, I'm not, I know I'm not going to come back from this deployment I know this is my last one, but I am not going to you know, live in fear. So I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do my best. And you, I, honestly, I don't think I would have appreciated your language if it wasn't for this conversation with Keith literally just about 24 hours ago. And really, you're saying you don't have to live under the oppressive weight of your mistakes and your past. You don't have to live under the oppressive fear of wondering if there's somebody waiting around the corner that's going to try to blow up the limousine and me with it. If you have just settled all of that in your mind and you're prepared spiritually as well as emotionally, then you got no reason to fear. You can go out and live. And I'm just going to put some air quotes here for everybody who's driving. You really can live without fear or you really can live your best life because you don't have to stress about all of the stuff that everybody's wondering or yeah. worrying about when you just surrender, right.
1: you know, we we we're given but one life to live, and you might as well live it to the fullest. Jesus you said, "We well, yep, might it have all. life and yeah. have it to the fullest," but that, you know, there's a way to go about that. And when we we're secure in our mission and know what our calling is, then then good life awaits. I, I sometimes it 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 shocks me when. um, People who are so young give me quotes that I am now, you know, recalling every day. And um, the young tennis player, uh, Coco Goff, she's like 19 years old, just won the U.S. Open, and she was being interviewed. And they said, hey, do you, do you, and she's a, she's a Christian. um, And they must have said something like, hey, do you, do you pray to win? And, uh, and Coco Goff, 19 years old, says, "Uh, I don't pray about results, I pray that i would be enabled to do my very best all right and i leave the results up to somebody else yeah (laughs) i thought that's that's... and so for me what i
0: sure woman right there oh yeah
1: yeah she's awesome and so when i think about um you know what you were talking about i go back to that direction over perfection and so yeah i make plenty of mistakes um uh just ask my wife um uh they're, they're out there but it's not about perfection, it is about direction. And when when you're sold out to Christ, then then the direction is is unknown and and you just keep moving in the right direction.
0: For anybody who's listening to this right now, maybe you're not in law enforcement, maybe you're not in the military, maybe you'll never be in the secret service, but you too can cheat death like Ken is describing and you can do the ultimate you can cheat the ultimate form of death, that eternal death. Um, that is possible through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Ken. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of Cheating Death. Um, I'm going to go at, out and pre-order it, and I'm going to ask everybody else to do that. It drops April 16th, 2024, which, if you live in the United States, is tax day. So that's your uh, that's your reminder right now, tax day. Wait a second, I need to go order Ken's book uh, because that's it comes right. out today. That's right. Yeah. Well, and uh,
1: you know, the special treat for your listeners is uh, uh, that I quoted your book, uh, "The Road to Unafraid," in in my book, and and your book had a, a profound impact oh, on man. me. Thank
0: you for saying um, that. I,
1: I was uh, living in in a little town in Mississippi. I was the only Secret Service agent assigned to the northern half of the state, and we started a, a, a basically an encouragement and accountability, support and challenge kind of group, and and um you spoke at a at a church and and I got to hear you speak and we didn't really get to meet then but but I got your book and we ended up I read your book twice before I said hey this group was called cops it was christian officers pursuing sharpness and uh, we we used yeah. your book as a study and uh, and I thought it was just such a great Man, form of inver- encouragement and uh, I gave a copy to my son who's a a uh, brand new officer in the Marine Corps. And and so I just want to thank you for your service, oh, both, man. both to our country and the Army, but also uh, beyond with the the encouragement and um, what a what a great story you possess. And, and thank you for telling it.
0: Well, you raised the Patriot. Please tell your son, Semper Fidelis, from us all at the Unbeatable Army. And thank you, Ken, for being on this episode with me, man. This has been great.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: Hey, I heard a lot of incredible statements from Ken in this episode. I had to write a few of them down, but I think the thing that's going to stick with me is if you're going to be unbeatable in life, Ken made this statement more than one time. You pursue the right direction, not perfection, which means as long as you get knocked down and get beat up by life and you're able to pick yourself up and to dust yourself off and keep going in the right direction, you too, like Ken, can be unbeatable. So no matter what happens to you this week, why don't you pursue the right direction instead of perfection? And thanks, Ken, for that one piece of advice. Thank you for all that we heard from you today, but I really want to thank you for that piece of advice. I want to thank everybody who's listening today i hope that you've been tuned in and you've been listening to a lot of episodes of this podcast but if you caught us for the first time why don't you go ahead and subscribe on youtube or why don't you go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast platform that way next week when we bring you another amazing guest it's right there waiting for you as soon as the episode drops you can also find out more about us online on social media all you have to do is pretty much search on any of the social media platforms just search for at unbeatable podcast and you'll be able to hear more from our guests you'll be able to find out more from me you'll be able to run into some pretty amazing people like our fan of the week this week sean weigel sean thank you for being so deeply connected to this podcast and to the social media family that stays connected and follows this podcast One last thing, if you want Ken's book, you can pre-order it. He's got a website, KennethValentine.com. We'll put a link to that thing in the notes to this. But I also want you to know, if you're really struggling, you got some obstacles that are just tearing you up right now, and you want a little bit of motivation, I did this little motivational video and we'll give it to you free. It's just there to give you the energy to get up tomorrow and face the challenge and not get overcome by it. You want that motivational video? Just simply go over to at unbeatable or simply go over to unbeatablearmy.com. Join the unbeatable army and we'll give you access to that video totally free. It's just my way of giving you a little shot in the arm when you're struggling with some tough stuff in life. Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. Godspeed. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable.